It's been another glorious day here in the northwest of the UK. Thank you for joining me. It's me, Richie Allen, with you till 7 o'clock on Wednesday's Richie Allen Show, live from BBG Towers. Get in touch during the programme via the website, menu bar, comment live. Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. I'm uh, very much looking forward to welcoming Julie Wentz to the program. A fascinating lady. During the scam demic, she stood up in Arizona against the vaccine mandates. Terrifically interesting woman. Uh, she ran the Arizona Stands Up program, or I shouldn't say program, I should say the um, resistance Arizona Stands Up. And now she's created a parallel private health network known as Freedom Healthcare. And that's to help people get out of the corrupt medical pharma system. We'll talk about that and much more with Julie Wentz a little bit later on in the program. And uh, the brilliant David Hathaway, Sheriff David Hathaway, connected me to uh, Julie and Spiro Skouras knows Julie well too looking forward to that a bit later on and uh, for the next uh, little while we'll have a chat to you and me about some of the more interesting stories making the news today that's what we do it's two minutes past five yeah warm today 27 tomorrow and then it goes back to normal God if God exists must have a sense of humour you would have thought. Uh, Glastow, as they call it, Glastonbury, is back this weekend after a three-year hiatus. You know that, don't you? The Glastonbury Music Festival, Worthy Farm, the Evasus, the Evas family and all of that. It's back. It was closed in 2020. 2019 it was closed for renovation or to give the farm a rest, I think. Then in 2020 and 2021, because of the scam, it was closed down. It's back now. But God's got some sense of humour. Humour even scorch you all this week, everywhere. But thunderstorms on Friday, on Saturday and on Sunday, just in time for the festival. Have you ever been to a festival? Did you enjoy it? Were you young? Were you middle-aged? Were you old? Did you go? Have you ever been to Glastonbury or something like that? I've never been to Glastonbury or a three-day or a four-day festival because my OCD prohibits it. During my radio days, colleagues got tickets through contacts at the station for Glastonbury and other festivals, but I couldn't think of anything worse than a tent with sweaty, smelly people and meeting guys, white guys with dreadlocks named Tristan. Stupid names like that. Couldn't bear it. White guys with dreadlocks wearing these stupid clothes that they wear, these hemp, these hemp clothes. Can't stand it. Any of that nonsense. I did go to uh, Fela, uh, the trip to Tip, but only for one day. If you're Irish, you'll know all about Fela. If, uh, well, if you're over a certain age. But if you're not, you won't have a Scooby-Doo. What's he talking about? Having a clue. I hate smelly men. I hate smelly men. I was once on a bus in Manchester many, many years ago. And I got on the bus at Piccadilly and I was heading out to 
rush home. So you're talking about 15 to 20 minutes rush hour. And a chap got on the bus, God love him. He was homeless. And he stank, God love him. And I do mean God love him. I've always had great sympathy and empathy for people who are down on their look because I've had very difficult periods in my own life. I don't find anything funny about it. And where I've been able to in the past, I've always lent a helping hand, not virtue signalling now, but I've got to tell you that as a preamble. But the guy got on and God love him, he stank. He stank so bad it was awful. It was vomit-inducing. There was a woman sitting next to me and she was going green. And I thought for a minute, because my OCD, I thought for a minute, I thought about it, I didn't do it. But I was going to ask the gentleman, would he accept £20 to get off (laughs) at the next stop and wait for the next bus? But I thought, that'll haunt you till the day you die if you do that. Because you'll never be able to tell that story in a way that people will understand it. They'll think that you didn't give a shite about the homeless man. Which wasn't the case, but it was horrendous. It was bad. Anyway, anyway. Uh, rail strikes continue. Rumours that the bus drivers are next. Zen the doctors. Covid is coming back, they're saying, with variants. Holidays are being cancelled due to staffing issues at airports and at the airlines. Immigrants are coming across the channel. No airplanes are leaving for Rwanda. The government is saying it's going to try and get a new Bill of Rights passed through Parliament this year. Now, I've just given you the media all day long. Rail strikes, bus drivers, doctors, COVID's back, holidays are gone. Agitate, agitate, agitate. It's like the collective media has a set of gears, like in a car. But they've just decided to take out five gears and leave one. The agitate gear. Agitate people. Get them riled up, get them angry. I don't know what's going on. I haven't a clue. I'm not going anywhere this summer. Well, we are. We'll probably try and get a week somewhere up the country or down the country. How do you know what's up the country and what's down the country? Is up the country anything north of where you are? And is down the country anything south of where you are? And today, dear listener, they threw something new into the mix. Did you see this this afternoon? Polio has been found in sewage in London. Alarm, alarm, alarm. Agitate, agitate, agitate. Am I agitating you now by carrying on like this? And so I'll um, keep it up. Did you see this um, polio, or the virus which can cause it, has been detected in a concerning number of sewage samples in London, according to health officials. So everyone is reporting this. But they're not given too many details. This is another thing the media doesn't do anymore. Gives you no details. Basically, the BBC is saying, some bloke told us that they found some some virus in, in the sewage, in the piss and the shit, and it's a virus that could cause polio. And they just take it as gospel, the BBC. The BBC doesn't have its own independent scientists that it can say, listen, we want to look into this. We're not sure about this. You just could be fear-mongering. Anyway, that's what they're saying. Uh, polio was common in the UK in the 1950s, but it was eliminated by 2003. Eliminated. Now, the UK Health Security Agency, we just love that, don't we? Every time we mention that, the Health Security Agency, deliciously dystopian that, isn't it? Health Security. Oh, yeah. It conjures up so many images, that, of people 
in biohazard, bio, biohazard suits knocking on your door and dragging you away to an undisclosed location. Anyway, they're saying that the virus that could cause polio that was found in the piss and the poo is, um, was probably imported to, some, to London by somebody who was recently vaccinated overseas with a live form of the uh, virus, basically. What kind of fuckery are you? Yeah, let me just explain that. So they're saying that the, the, the virus found in the poo in London, the virus that might cause polio, was probably imported to London by someone who was vaccinated overseas with a live form of the virus. Because apparently in the UK, the polio vaccines in the past used to contain a live form of the virus, but not anymore. Right? So the advice is, make sure your children have been fully immunised against polio and all the rest of it. Now, Sky News this afternoon had Adam Finn on. Do you remember Adam Finn? He of the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation. Professor Adam Finn. He was never off the telly during the scandemic. Well, he was back. This guy, who's in favour of jabbing everybody with everything, every hour of the day. Should we be concerned about the virus in the poo that could cause polio? Asks Sky's Anna Botting to Adam Finn. It is. It's something we do need to pay close attention to. This is something that's happened. Surprise, surprise! We do need to be concerned, he says. In other countries in the West uh, in recent times, but not so far until now in the UK. Uh, it's not entirely surprising that this has happened, but it is something we should be uh, paying attention to and uh, doing our best to stamp out. Well, yes, and could it come about because people have had a vaccine against polio and that's somehow been shed from their systems and is being picked up in sewage? Shedding. We used to talk a bit about shedding, didn't we, dear listener, you and me? And didn't scientists like Adam Finn, didn't, didn't they dismiss over the years shedding? as a problem, you know, that you, would, that you would give a jab to somebody, but they would actually go out into the population and shed the, the vaccine and, and, and people might become sick. We talked a lot about that. Shedding, could it be shedding, Professor? That is what's happened, although not the vaccines that we're using in the UK, because since 2004, we've been using an injected, inactivated vaccine that doesn't contain any live virus. Uh, but the oral vaccine, which does contain live virus, is still widely used in other parts of the world as part of the polio eradication program. Uh, and so the virus will have been imported by someone coming from one of those countries who's received the vaccine there. So does it mean that it could just be coming from people who are vaccinated and there's no reason to suggest that it's spread at all? He just said that, you daft pint. Were you not listening? I'm afraid there is reason to suggest it's spread because this has been picked up now over a period of several months. Uh, and when we see importations that are like a one-off, if you like, somebody who's come with the recently been vaccinated, that usually just pops up for a short time and then disappears. Whereas we're seeing genetically related viruses persistently over a period of months now. Uh, and that strongly suggests that there's transmission going on between people within the UK and in this area of London in particular. Agitate, agitate, agitate. Fear, 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 fear. That's what's going on here. This is bullshit. At least I think it is. Are you No, I'm not qualified. But these guys have been lying since, well, since the day they graduated. So I, I can't buy into this. 
that they found a virus in poo and wee in sewage in London, a virus that could cause polio and that it got into the country because people are coming in who got a polio vaccine elsewhere in the world, one which contained the live virus. Sounds a bit far-fetched. And how risky is that? Because there is a a widespread vaccination programme against polio in this country, isn't there? Yes. Yes, the risks are low because just a very large majority of people have been, you know, have been vaccinated adequately to protect them. Uh, but nevertheless, there are people who haven't been uh, vaccinated at all and others that have not been fully vaccinated. Um, and these kind of viruses uh, can actually cause polio, even though they come from the, the vaccine. They can gradually... Even though they come from the vaccine. Yeah, yeah I love this. Um, and these kind of viruses... Uh, can actually cause polio, even though they come from the the vaccine. (laughs) They can gradually uh, evolve back towards virulence and cause paralysis. So Paralysis! This is something we do need to pay attention to. And in the short term, uh, people should check that their children have had all their scheduled vaccinations, particularly if they're in North London, but elsewhere as well, just to minimise any possible risk. Let's give Paddy Power the bookmaker a ring. Paddy! Paddy, I want to put a bet on. I want to put a bet on that the pharmaceutical companies which manufacture, or the pharmaceutical companies that manufacture uh, polio vaccines, I want to bet that they've got several hundred warehouses full of polio vaccines that they're anxious to uh, to get off of their hands, and that they've put this bullshit story out through liars like Adam Finn and the BBC. Just a theory. I want to put a tenner on it. And you know, Paddy Power would probably give me even money. That's maybe what's going on here. What do you think, dear listener? Mm. Got warehouses full of polio jobs. What are we going to do with them? We can't just decommission them or just... I don't know. We can't put them into a compactor and crush them up and recycle them. What will we do with them? Oh, I'll just invent a fake polio crisis. Sounds good to me. Here's more. And, and remind us what we're talking about here with polio, because we've not had many cases of it for, for some time. Remind us what kind of a disease this is. Remind us. Remind us, Adam. Adam, remind us. Now remember, Adam, scared the living bejesus out of people. Go yeah. on. Yeah, I mean, vaccines are a, a victim of their own success, aren't they? We... we- <laughs> constantly forget about the diseases that used to exist that have disappeared. I love this. Vaccines are a victim of their own success because it leads us to forget about the diseases that used to exist. But you know, vaccines didn't er eradicate these so-called diseases. I've been doing a lot of reading in the last few weeks on this subject, and I'm going to be covering it in great depth in the near future. I really got taken with reading into terrain theory. And, And also the... The evolution, the evolution of people, people becoming cleaner, you know, people becoming cleaner as a species, washing themselves, taking more care. And, and I actually think a lot of the things they credit vaccines with eliminating were actually because people just became a bit cleaner. That's, that's just a, it's not a new theory, obviously not, but I'm giving a bit of credence to it today. Any more from Adam Finn? Some time. Remind us what kind of a disease this is. 
Yeah, I mean, vaccines are a, a victim of their own success, aren't they? We we constantly forget about the diseases that used to exist that have disappeared as a result of vaccinations, and polio is a good example of that. It causes a, an illness with fever, a bit like flu, uh, and most people who get it uh, make a full recovery without any serious problems. Uh, by most, he means the great, great majority of people. Problems. But unfortunately, a minority of people can get this paralysis, usually affects the legs, but it can affect other parts of the body. Um, and in some cases, it's permanent so that uh, you, know, you get weakness of one or other of the limbs. Um, people can't move normally. Uh, and then even though they recover from the infection, that can on some cases be a permanent problem. So it's a serious illness, one that we definitely want to avoid people getting. No, absolutely. And, and, and No, absolutely, says the nodding dog in the studio. And, and are there symptoms people need to look out for if they're, if they're not vaccinated and are concerned? Wait till you hear this. What are the symptoms? You won't believe it. It's just the same symptoms for COVID, the same symptoms for hay fever, the same symptoms for the common cold. Uh, well, the, the the general symptoms that people get um, are very easily muddled up with other infections, fevers, um, aches and pains. Uh. Of course they are. And then he goes on to say, but you should be a little bit concerned if you start to lose the, the, the use of your legs. <laughs> Adam Finn, 17 minutes past the hour. Uh, it becomes so apparent over the years, doesn't it? Doesn't it? When you're doing this for years and years becomes obvious what's going on. Ah, well. That was Adam Finn there, the uh, JCVI guy, although he was speaking in a personal capacity. What do you think is going on with this polio story? Please tell me, richieallen.co.uk. Live comment, please. Uh, monkeypox, monkeypox, monkeypox. Let's talk about monkeypox just for a moment. Give you a giggle. Kay Burley. Spoke this morning for the first time in a while to her most favourite general practitioner in the world ever. A guy called David Lloyd. He looks like a koala bear. Look him up. You'll know exactly what I mean. Little, I don't know, semi-old man. Little cuddly character who sits in his surgery and chats away with Kay. She had him on pretty much every other day during the scam. David Lloyd. He wanted everybody masked up to the tits. He wanted everybody isolating from everybody. He's a bit of a madman. Anyway, shut him on. Here they are. And Kay wanted to talk a little bit about monkeypox, didn't you, Kay? Fabulous. It's all good. <laughs> right, you'll hear Kay first then. Have you seen any cases of monkeypox? Monkeypox. Not yet. No, very exciting. I'd really like to. What? Very exciting. He'd really like to. There are, I think, only 800 in the UK at the moment. So 800 out of a population of 67 million? I don't think I... I statistically, I sure, I hope I'll see one soon, but I haven't... <laughs> he hopes he'll see one. I haven't seen one yet. Very exciting. Very exciting. Really looking forward um, to that. <laughs> there's going to be a vaccine, am I right in saying? What, sorry? There's going to be a vaccine? Well, the, the lucky thing, of course, is that monkeypox and smallpox are very related. Right. The lucky thing is, they're very related. Why is that lucky? I'll give you a, a clue, dear listener. I was just speaking about this a moment ago, speaking of polio vaccines. Why is it lucky that monkeypox and smallpox are related, David? Uh, and a few years ago, uh, the United States became convinced that uh, they were going to have germ warfare with smallpox. Right. So the states thought we'd have a big smallpox war. And so 
stockpiled millions of doses of smallpox vaccine. So they stockpiled shitloads of smallpox vaccine, right? Uh, and luckily that smallpox vaccine actually works against monkeypox as well. So How fortunate is that? So they put billions of doses of smallpox vaccines into warehouses all over America. But there was no germ warfare with anybody. What the fuck are we going to do with all of those smallpox vaccines? What do you think, Bill Gates? Well, I think, uh, why don't we invent a fake monkeypox virus? Why don't we make up a monkeypox virus scare? And then we'll sell all of those doses of smallpox vaccines. We've got a ready supply of a vaccine already. Fantastic. Well, un- what a coincidence. Unlike COVID, we had to develop a new one. So, yes, it's there. It's there. Uh, and we obviously want to try and do, do something with it as we've got it. Why, though? There's 800 fucking monkeypox cases in a population of 67 million. Right? You can't really get it from people. And if you do, it's no big deal. You'll be itchy. And a bit sore for a couple of weeks. Why the fuck would you want to be giving out these vaccines? And so identifying the high-risk groups in the UK and getting them vaccinated seems a sensible thing agitate, to do. Agitate, agitate, agitate. Fear, 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 fear. Wall to wall, morning, noon and evening on the British media. Lie after lie. This is when I, I, I listen to this and it's the only time that I really do hope there is a God and that he is the Old Testament vengeful God. And that he will send Burley and David Lloyd and Adam Finn and Whitty and Jonathan Van Tam. That, don't swear again, Richie. That he will cast them into eternal flame for their crimes against humanity. Kay Burley there. <sighs> the glee. Did you hear the glee? It's the glee that gets me. The glee. Have you seen any cases of monkeypox? Oh, monkeypox. He was so hopeful. He hasn't, but he can't wait to see one. Stupid stuff being put out there in the media about offering it to gay men. Ridiculous nonsense. And, yeah, you know, masks are beginning to reappear on the streets of the UK. At least in Salford, anyway. I've seen them. I've seen more masks lately than I had seen previously. It's exactly 22 minutes past the hour. This is the Richie Allen Show. It's live from Salford. It's El Scorchio Tremendo. This is Deacon Blue. Back with more news next. There's a man... Deacon Blue Dignity on The Richie Allen Show, 25 minutes past 5 o'clock. It is Wednesday, halfway through the week. Beautiful weather across the UK, at least until Friday, when it changes. You have to love this shite, don't you? Not yet. No, very exciting. I'd really like to. There are, I think, only 800 in the UK at the moment, so I don't think I, I statistically... I sure. I hope I'll see one soon, but I haven't seen one yet. Very exciting. Really looking forward um, to that. There's going to be a vaccine, <laughs> am I right? And then, and then he laughs. He cracks himself up. They're just laughing in our faces. That's what it is. Ah, listen. I wonder. Be, I, listen. Before I wonder, let me read some of your messages. Uh, there's been a lot of comments. I did see a rather narky comment the other day from someone who whose name I won't mention because I can't remember it saying that I'm pretty choosy about the comments I read out. I'm not. I get a lot through the programme. A lot. And what happens is the pages keep turning. A page gets added and added, and then I go back and then I lose where I am. Uh, There isn't any favouritism here. Uh, Please believe that. I will decline to read a comment sometimes when it makes no sense, when it's very poorly constructed, you know, and I mean grammatically. 
I just look at it and I go, I'm not getting into that. Leslie says I've got a rash on my arm. It looks like monkeypox, says Leslie, but don't worry, I think I'm symptomatic. Craig says the hopefulness in the voices of the media hacks should be described as virtual virus tourism. Oh, look, Kay, there's a polio strain over there. Get your camera out quick. Indeed. Patrick says, you've got to laugh, Richie, but people need to go the extra mile and know that the jabs contain a sophisticated system that will take control of the human being. Recipients of these jabs will become a slave or will die from the effects. That's Patrick's view. Thank you, Patrick. Jenny says, but smallpox was actually eradicated, so why did they keep warehouses full of vaccines? They'll never throw them away, Jenny. I suppose we can always just manufacture a crisis, can't we there? Yes, we can, John. Thank you, Mary. We'll leave it a couple of years. We'll sell the things. Don't worry about it. No doubt. At least that's my opinion. Beaver says, what's going on with the polio story confusing the effects of the clot shot? Let's cover all the bases with absolute bullshit, says Beaver. So Beaver is saying that uh, the COVID jabs are causing injuries, which they are. And he's saying that the polio story might be a cover for vaccine injury. Beaver might very well be right. I don't know. Isabel says that in her opinion, the polio scare is their new way to prepare a new cover-up for more vaccine damages. So she agrees with Beaver. Jonathan Stone, my pal, Makara, in Aranua. Good, uh, good evening, Jonathan. He says, Richie, J.B. Handley makes a point in his book that there are a number of illnesses and diseases for which there was no vaccine. But they declined anyway, in exactly the same proportion over the years as those for which there was a vaccine. It's all attributable to the improvements in health, sanitation and food standards. Yes, yes, that is my belief too, Jonathan. Not that I can prove it. Chris says, yes, all the symptoms that come from eating McDonald's, drinking monster drinks and staying in all day playing computer games. That's a bloody good point, Chris. That is a good point. You know, the lockdown itself, the lack of fresh air, the lack of pressing the flesh, of meeting your friends, of having a beer, of going for a bite to eat, of having a wonderful night out at the theatre, going to the game with the lads, all of this, being deprived of it, has surely had some impact, some medical impact, some health impact on people. I agree as well. Thank you for all of your messages. Gaz says the media creates the diseases and then gets rid of them, COVID being the best example to date. Okay, it's time to talk about something else. So let's talk about something else. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, if they will make fat a protected characteristic. Protected characteristics at the moment include age. Age is a protected characteristic. You cannot be discriminated against on the basis of your age. Gender reassignment is a protected characteristic. Don't we know it? Aren't we sick to the fucking back teeth of it? Being married or in a civil partnership is a protected characteristic, as is being preggers up the duff or on maternity leave. A disability, obviously. Race, including colour, nationality, ethnic or national, national origin. Religion or belief is a protected characteristic when it suits them. And sex. Biological sex is a protected characteristic. Will they make being obese a protected characteristic? Will it be illegal in the future to discriminate against somebody on the basis that they are overweight? John, you look 
you know, like you're up for the job and you're a nice fella, John, but you look like you're one sandwich away from a fucking heart attack because you are, well, to put it mildly, a great big fat fella. Will it be illegal to do that? Listen, people are losing their shite on social media today because Netflix is going to do Matilda the Musical and Emma Thompson is playing the Trunchbull, Roald Dahl. Remember that? I don't know about you, but I saw the film Matilda. I was 21 years old. I took a young cousin to see it and the Trunchbull scared the living bejesus out of me. The Trunchbull character. Great film. Can't remember the... Uh, name of the amazing young girl who played Matilda, but she was brilliant. She was also in Mrs. Doubtfire. Great film. I can't believe they're continuing to adapt uh, Roald Dahl's books. Wasn't he a horrible racist? Haven't we cancelled Roald Dahl yet? What's going on? Anyway, Miss Great Britain is a big lady. She's a plus-size model. She has her own postcode. And she's not happy. Her name is Cat Henry. Miss Great Britain... She's an actress and a plus-size model, Kat Henry. She went on to Radio 5 Live to say, no way should Emma Thompson have been handed the role that she, Miss GB, was born to play. Here she is, Kat Henry on BBC Radio 5 Live. (laughs) Um, I do think it's important to kind of give everyone a fair chance in life. And uh, as much as I, I really do think that Emma Thompson is a fantastic actor I just think it's it's really necessary to kind of depict people as they truly are there's absolutely no reason why we should be putting a slim woman into a fat suit to depict the character that is a larger size there are tons of men and women all over the world who are fantastic actors and they would do just as well so why not cast them accordingly it just doesn't make any sense I suppose it with Miss Trunchbull I I get what you're saying in a broader sense but in this kind of uh, instance she's a kind of cartoon type character in a way isn't she she's so over the top it's Roald Dahl at the end of the day isn't she and I I think I'm right and she's played by a man in the musical this is based on I didn't know but yeah so you know it's a it's a figure which is so ridiculously larger than life it's a slightly different case, is it not, for this? Well, I don't I, know. Maybe maybe not. Maybe not, right? What does Kat say to that? I think it's really difficult because actually people that are plus size um, seem to always be typecast into roles that are very negative. No, I wouldn't agree with that. Do you agree with that, that the heavier actors and actresses get roles, bad guys or negative characters? I don't agree with that. Uh, you know, you never really see... Uh, you know a larger lady be the leading lady um and that's really sad i mean it, there's no reason why you, you know just because we are well hang on a second queen latifah casts quite the shadow and she was given the lead role in in the adaptation of uh, the equalizer wasn't she hey what about rebel wilson She's a lot slimmer now, but when she was heavy, she had some leading parts. Come on. Bigger doesn't mean we're any less desirable or any less, you know, aesthetically pleasing to certain people. So I just don't understand why we're always typecast in the, the comedic role or the negative role. And and this is just another circumstance of that. I'm, like, I know Roald Dahl wrote the character as a larger lady. I read the book as a child. I'm not yeah, stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, it, it doesn't, you don't need to, in that case, then put somebody who is 
obviously not a larger lady. Emma Thompson is not a larger lady. Um, and you don't need to, to put her into the role yeah. and put her in a fat she's suit. She's a damn good actress, isn't she? You know? And but there are many very good actresses, though. You know, why, why only specify that you want a, a well-known person to play the role? Give someone else a chance. Do we really have to tell Kat Henry, Miss GB, the plus-size model, the answer to that, do we? Netflix are spending a lot of money, love. A lot of money. Emma is a star, love. They want a return on their effing money. Not only is she a star, but she's an Oscar-winning actress. She's a lovey. She's a British institution. She's damn good. That's why they're asking her to step into a fat suit. And it's acting. Isn't it? It's acting. You're saying that a a slim-sized person shouldn't be allowed to imagine, to try and create a character, and then act it out. Uh, you know, a heavier person. It's acting, isn't it? It's acting, Kat. I'm an actor myself. I, I went to musical theatre school. I went to the Brit school. I'm not not stupid. I know exactly what an actor does. However, I'm a plus-size woman, and I could have t- done that role, but they didn't choose to, to typecast me. They've because nobody ever heard of you, love. They've taken somebody else who is thin and put them on a bo- in a bodysuit to depict the character. It's not necessary. It is necessary. If you're spending 100 million quid, I don't think they're spending 100 million quid. It's not Hollywood. But uh, I'm sure they're spending several million quid on it. They want a return. People will want to see Emma Thompson. Wasn't she marvellous in that film with Anthony Hopkins, where he played the butler, The Remains of the Day? Wasn't it marvellous? The Tear Jagger. Remember that? Emma Thompson, yeah. She also did a very good... Um, ah, she was in Jim Sheridan's film In the Name of the Father, which took a lot of liberty. She played Gareth Pierce, didn't she? The, the the barrister in that. Jim took a lot of liberties with the truth in that Guildford 4-based film. But anyway, now Kat at least sounded reasonable. Wait till you hear this nutter. Someone called Queen Mojo. Yes, that's her real name. She's a plus-sized woman as well on Good Morning Britain. She's also pissed off that Emma Thompson will play the trunchbull. And not some great big fat woman. Have a listen to this. When you're plus size, there's a beauty to that. And when you walk into a room and when you carry that weight, there's an energy that sometimes actors can't bring to that. And I think that that needs to be highlighted because if there was someone that was perhaps um, less able-bodied or had a different gender to us, we represent those on screen. Why are fat people's bodies not as important to do that? Mad as a box of frogs. Did you catch this? When you're plus size, there's a beauty to that. And when you walk into a room and when you carry that weight, there's an energy that sometimes actors can't bring to that. Fantastic. Overweight people bring an energy, bring a charisma into a room that cannot be replicated by a woman in a fat suit. Just can't be. All right, enough of that. Enough. 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 She had more to say than Queen Mojo. I was absolutely heartbroken uh, watching Glee, finding out that the person that was playing a role of someone in a wheelchair wasn't actually disabled. Now, I'm able-bodied, so I didn't relate to it. But I just thought, well, that's really disrespectful. Why (laughs) can't we have true representation through all the different... Um, um, subcategories of like people that are discriminated. Well, that's mental, isn't it? That's mental. That's mental. She got pissed off when she watched Glee when she found out that the person in the wheelchair in the show actually was able bodied. That's disrespectful shit, that. And that you should only be allowed to take a role <laughs> that um, where the character basically matches your physical description. 
and I don't know. Yeah, that matches you physically. Outside of that, you can't do anything. Did you hear that lunatic there? Why can't we have true representation through all the different um, um, subcategories of like yeah, people that are discriminated? <laughs> through all the different subcategories. Madness. You take that any way you want. That can go as far as you like. In a book, a character's got lots of freckles. Lots of freckles. Ginger. And you want to cast that character. You think I'll put Tom Cruise in there, but Tom Cruise doesn't have fucking freckles. So we'll get the makeup people to get that pen out and put freckles on his face, but you can't do that. You've got to get somebody with freckles. Lots of them. Got to get a ginger kid in there. But nobody will go and see the film. It doesn't matter. As long as everybody's represented. Here's a bit more from the Mad Queen. Being overweight isn't just something that happens to you. Alison Hammond mentioned it herself. Obesity is something that people sometimes struggle with. Binge eating is something that people struggle with. So when you're playing that role of Miss Trunchable, yes, you're walking in there and she's big and she's got this extra weight on her, but also you're not carrying maybe the pain of, of the reason why she's big. You're not carrying with her. You're not carrying the pain. Emma Thompson can put a fat suit on if she wants, but she can't. What she can't do, she can look like Miss Trunchable, but what she cannot do is tap into to the pain and the angst of being overweight. But I'm willing to bet every penny I have that she can do because she's an actress. She's very good at her job. I, I imagine she will think about what it's like to be big. How do I express that in the character? Maybe Trunchbull is a complex character. This bully who bullies the, 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 the kids under her charge. It's uh, 20 minutes to the top of the air. It's mad stuff, this, you know, and we, we talk about it. You think it's throwaway stuff. It's not that important. It is. It is because there's very little opposition to these ideas. Neither very bad ideas, you know. She shouldn't be allowed to... Why? Because she's not fat? Yes, exactly. Get a fat person in the role. Okay. It's time for another tune. Lots more to talk about. Don't forget a bit later on in the programme. Julie Wentz joins me. I'm really looking forward to that. This is the Blue Bells, by the way. Uh, the Blue Bells, young at heart, to 16 minutes to the top of the hour. Uh, Julie Wentz will be on the programme in around about 15, 20 minutes' time. Really interesting lady. Ran Arizona stands up against the mandates there. A very good friend of David Hathaway, the sheriff top man and another top man, Spiro Skouras. She's running um, or creating Freedom Healthcare now. And we're going to talk about that in the second hour. She's really, really interesting. I'm looking forward to meeting her with you. So I am. Did you see this? I thought this was worthy of a mention. A comedian has said that the police investigated one of his jokes. He did a, a show in Belfast and an audience member rang the police and reported him for something he said. This is Joe Lysette. He used to host the BBC show The Great British Sewing Bee. Imagine you're paying your licence fee to the BBC and all you get is horse shit, like Bake Off, like Master Chef, like The Great British Sewing Bee. All of this shit they say. I don't pay the licence fee. How can they ask you for money for that garbage? Anyway, enough of that. So this guy who used to host the Great Sewing Bee was, was contacted by the police who said they had a duty to investigate because somebody took offence at something 
that he said on stage. He tweeted about this yesterday. He said the joke in question referred to a donkey's genitalia. And he tweeted, so someone came to my tour a few weeks ago and was offended by one of the jokes and their perfectly understandable response to this was to call the police. And then he says to be fair to them, the fuzz were very nice about it all but felt they had a duty to investigate. This involved me writing a statement explaining the context of the joke for them. I particularly enjoyed putting the words giant donkey dick into a message to a police detective. Charmed and hopefully amused. The Rosers, which is slang for police, have since closed the matter. But let's not be fair to them. And let's not give them points for being very nice about it. How dare the police contact the stand-up comedian to say that somebody was offended by a gag at his show? How dare they? I was talking about this with the missus today. And I'm not for firing people. I'm not. I'm for punishing people, but not for firing them. Now, the uniformed police people, I would say they've not done anything wrong. It's their supervisors. It's the superintendent or the chief super or the sergeant who sent them to harass the stand-up comedian. That person should be demoted. This is tyranny. That you think you have the right to go to a stand-up comic and ask him to explain himself because of a gag he told. There's nothing to be fair to them about it. Fucking hell, like. The Justice Secretary, Dominic Raab, was on the Julia Hartley Brewer show this morning and she asked him about it. So she did. Well, look, let, let me avoid individual cases because as Justice Secretary, I need to be careful about that. But generally speaking, I think the idea that uh, comedians uh, get uh, contacted by the police because of edgy jokes. I mean, by the way, let's be clear. If someone's inciting violence or uh, in, engaged in public order offences, that's different. But, but for, for, for edgy, I mean, that's crazy. And it's a good illustration of where, if you like, not just the rules, but the culture of an open, rambunctious and mutually tolerant society has been lost. There's lots of uh, comedians who, who talk about this now. Um, and, and I do think we need to preserve the space for free speech. As I said uh, at the outset, it is the liberty that guards all the others. And frankly, mutual, uh, tolerance works both ways. And we need to be... Uh, yes, sensitive in our debate, but also not allow uh, uh, a sheer mere offence to be allowed to close down that free speech, which is part of our heritage and also, I believe, part of our future. He's a hypocritical bastard, isn't he, Dominic Rav? He's not uh, exactly opposed to the online harms bill making its way through Parliament, right? Which talks a lot about so-called hate speech, which is Orwellian language. Hate speech. It's oxymoronic. Fucking hate speech. Right? They'll be trying to close down everything in the next couple of years. Any discussions about identity. Anybody who wants to say that, no matter how many times you tell me that that bloke over there with a beard and a hairy tallywhacker is a woman, he isn't a woman. Rob says now, oh, we have to protect people. You know, it, it should be your right to cause offence. But he's not standing up to the online harms bill, which proposes, by the way, putting people in jail for repeat offences, uh, basically challenging vaccine efficacy and vaccine safety. I'm not making any of this up. He's a tough guy today, defending a comic. See what? See how he's uh, 
tune changes now in the coming weeks, particularly after the summer recess. I'm telling you. This is the Richie Allen Show. As the time is coming up for 11 and a half minutes to the top of the hour. Uh, thanks for your comments. There are lots of them. Lots of them. So I've lost my place again. Let me go back in and see what you're telling me. No censorship here. You can tell me what you want. Isabel says the police hasn't any right to question a behaviour that is not against the law. Absolutely. Richard says the person that made the complaint should be sent to the laughing gas chamber. <laughs> Nitrous oxide, is that what it is? That's the, that's the way to go. Faisal says, greetings, speaking of being offended, whatever happened to Steve Hughes? Uh, answers on a postcard. Alex says, oh, this song transports me to childhood, presumably the the bluebells there. Chris Morell says, Christian Bale also did the extreme weight change thing in a film called The Machinist. Helen says, loving the music today, bringing me back to my youth. Thank you, Helen. Wayne has never been to a music festival, but you brought back happy memories of getting stuck in the grounds of a stately home, he says, one summer, along with other exhibitors and travellers at an open aircraft and fun fair, having done some tarot readings in the Mind, Body and Spirit Marquee. They locked the gates early and we had to sleep in the grounds, along with the travellers. After we spent most of the night dancing to the sound system and sitting around campfires chatting and playing guitar. Sounds like you made the most of it then. Uh, Wayne Paul says, right to my ears, both of these plus-size women sound like black ladies, so how can you play the trunch bull was written larger by doll card? But they ignore the fact that if they were cast in the part, that they would not be adhering to the writer's original vision. I don't care about how something is cast, so long as it's not done to be deliberately inclusive, says Paul. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. If people do these things of their own volition, they should be allowed to. Freedom of expression should work every way, right? So if a director wants to put a black woman into the part of the trunchbull, but, but the director isn't doing it to be woke, it's because the director thinks, I like this actress. She's bloody good. I'd like to see her in the role. That's fair enough. Nobody should argue with that. I agree with that, Paul. Yes, absolutely. Freedom of expression and freedom of speech for everybody. Jason says, well, they are going to kick off when they realise that Gene Wilder wasn't deaf and Richard Pryor wasn't blind in See No Evil, Hear No Evil. That's right. <laughs> Very funny film. Absolutely. Isabel says, thank God Rain Man was made years ago. We would never have gotten to see the incredible acting of Dustin Hoffman as Raymond Babbitt. That's right. That's absolutely right. Ian says, Trunch Bull wasn't obese because she was a lard arse. She was a shot putter. The loonies are becoming tiresome, says Ian. Indeed. Sean is listening to the programme from the United States of America whilst gardening. And uh, Sean is, uh, Sam even, Sam is listening to the States, in the States, shall I start again? Sam is listening in the US while gardening and has posted a lovely picture of the greenhouse. He's uh, turning his neighbours onto the Richie Allen Show. You're very kind. Thank you very much, Sam. Sajid Javid was out and about today. He's the UK Health Secretary. And the media were following him, as the media does. And Javid spoke to the media about a new project the government is undertaking with um, Moderna. Moderna. 
And it's um, a multi, multi, multi-million, even a billion pound project to create uh, facilities here in the UK to make lots and lots and lots of mRNA jabs in the future. Should we be worried? You're damn right we should be. Here's Sajid Javid. Well, we all saw during the pandemic uh, the, the differences that cutting-edge vaccines and treatments can make, and we all particularly saw that the mRNA technology has been very you know, transformational. It has literally saved millions of lives over the last couple of years. And that's why I'm thrilled to announce this new partnership between the UK government and Moderna, where Moderna will establish here in the UK a global R&D facility with over a billion pounds for investment in this cutting-edge technology technology and also a, a huge manufacturing uh, center, you know, their, their largest outside of the US. This is a great investment in the, in the UK uh, and, and it gives huge confidence to our life sciences sector already leading uh, in Europe. But most of all, what this means for me is for NHS patients. It means that we will have guaranteed access here in the UK uh, to these cutting edge vaccines and, and treatments. And that's not just for COVID or flu, uh, but also for some of the biggest killers out there and our biggest health problems, cancer, dementia, and heart disease. Mm. Cancer, dementia, heart disease, diabetes, obesity. They're going to create jobs for everything you can think of, and they're going to be offering you and me these jobs pretty much every other month, forevermore. And I do believe that your ability to move around, to shop, um, to travel, obviously, to move around, um, will be determined on whether you play ball with your dystopian government and take the shots they offer you. I'm telling you, I've been talking about this now for a long time. MRNA. It's the future of healthcare. And also being diagnosed by computer programs on laptops on phones, on tablets. That'll be to protect the environment and to offset climate change and to reduce your carbon footprint. I'm telling you, this is where we're going. And it's only us, you and me, and one or two others who are talking about this. When I was interviewing Mad Mix and Martin Noakes yesterday afternoon, the story grabbed our attention, didn't it? Didn't it? And it was a story about a... a a school, a secondary school that has banned people from, uh, from has banned students from touching one another. A strict no contact rule was introduced by the head teacher of Mossley Hollands High School in Greater Manchester. The head teacher is Andrea Din, sent a newsletter out, said that this will improve school culture and uh, encourage mutual respect. Children are not to touch one another. No shaking hands, no hugging, no high fives, no arm around the shoulder. None of that. Because mutual respect. This is sick stuff, this. LBC Radio's Nick Ferrari spoke to Emma. She used to attend the school and has younger siblings who are attending the school right now. Yeah, so I have friends with younger siblings at the school and everybody seems to be quite overwhelmed by the rules so far. They're kind of tiptoeing around school, you know, making sure not to accidentally bump into a friend by accident in fear of getting detention. <laughs> and, and we're coming into the exam season 
and mm-hmm. you all go to the school and you you know you take your exams and if one girl's had a really hard time you might put your arm around her or if you're yeah. happy and you've oh my god the subject we revised last <laughs> night i cannot yeah. believe it that was questions number one two three four five you're yeah. just gonna high five or hug or exactly. is it isn't that a natural reaction emma yeah, it kind of takes away that natural human interaction. And a lot of kids probably don't get that kind of compassion at home. So it's it seems kind of harsh to take that away from students. Can I ask you, Emma, mm-hmm. were you still at school? Would you have been a lawbreaker? Uh, quite possibly. <laughs> <laughs> quite possibly. The Mail Online spoke to a student at the school who had a hand injury and asked the teacher, was it OK for her friend to give her a hug? And the teacher said no. <laughs> mad, mad shit. Like, and there's a photograph of this uh, head teacher Andrea Din in the in the papers today and yesterday. Um, reasonably attractive, I'd say late thirties, early forties, smiley woman. Where did they come up with this shit? Like, who? Where do you get this stuff? What place? Where are you in life? Where you think to yourself, I know what will ban physical contact will ban it completely not a hug not a high five as I said earlier on not a pat on the back well done Jane well done for getting that 96 in geography you got a 64 last time you've improved well done our kid that's been banned mutual respect what are they doing to children I think you know the answer uh, the time is a minute, or just under a minute, or over a minute, I can't remember. To the top of the hour, it's the Richie Allen Show, it's Wednesday's programme. And this is status quo, God forgive me. May God have mercy on my soul. It's margarita time because it's uh, nearly six o'clock here in the UK. Break open the bottle then. Yeah, the bass player hated that song so much he refused to appear on top of the pops. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Classic cheese, status, status quo, margarita time, three minutes past six. Wednesday's programme, Julie Wentz will be on with me shortly. Looking forward to hearing from her. If you've uh, come in late, what is what, 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 what is even worth telling you about? <laughs> the fear-mongering I talked about at the top of the programme, it's endless. You you will probably be aware that since I've come on air, they've ramped up the story. Well, you might not be because you're listening to me. You might not be browsing the websites while listening to me. But they've gone back this afternoon to warning people that Russia might turn off the gas taps. And that would be catastrophic for us all. It's fear, fear, fear. Agitate, agitate, agitate. No, I'm not saying that there might... I'm not saying that there isn't any truth in that because I don't know. Maybe, maybe Putin and his government are considering turning off the taps, but maybe they're not. Maybe the people making these claims have no idea, but they're saying it anyway. Agitate, agitate, fear, 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 rail strikes. The bus drivers are next, the doctors, COVID's coming back, monkeypox, polio virus being found in the poo, immigrants coming across the channel. Fear, fear, fear. Add to that, you won't be going on holiday because of the staff shortages in airports and airlines. Fear, fear, agitate, agitate, agitate. Don't know how you test that. I don't know how you measure it. I don't see enough people 
for me to make a guess or for me to, to make an evaluation as to whether people are more angry or more aggressive, more, I don't know, vexed, more fed up than they normally would be. I'm not qualified to make that claim. I don't see enough people on a daily basis. I see the same people in my uh, dog walk, on my dog walk, early early doors, as, as Big Ron Ronglish, early doors. I don't see enough people, but I'm willing to, again, make a bet that, yeah, this is having an impact on people. It's driving them mad. Fear everywhere. Uh, the media is also reporting all day on an earthquake that has killed 1,000 people in Afghanistan. That's a horrible thing. It's the country's deadliest earthquake in uh, two decades. It struck overnight as many people were asleep in their beds. That's not good. Inflation has hit a 40-year high in the UK. Food prices going up again. Again, fear. This is all an agenda of fear. Because when people are terrified, they become more malleable. The more scared they are, the more bewildered they are, the more helpless they are, the more likely they are to accept whatever is on offer from the authorities. Again, that's just my opinion. Uh, the supermarket chain Asda is saying that uh, some shoppers are beginning to tell cashiers to stop scanning goods when the threshold of £30 is reached because people are broke. Uh, food bank visits are up. People are going to food banks. People who've never gone to food banks before. And here's a story I could have covered today, but I didn't, uh, only because I'm sure you're aware of it and I've been covering it in the week, talking about, of course, Oldham. But um, an eight-year investigation, an eight-year investigation by the police watchdog into the handling of uh, sexual abuse in Rotherham has found that, again, local authorities and police forces let people down. Would you believe one police uh, officer in Rotherham told the father of a 14-year-old rape victim that the rape victim will have learned his or her lesson? How does that happen? How does a police officer tell a parent, well, they've learned their lesson now? In other words, about going out late and about hanging around with people. Shocking stuff, this. It's on bbc.co.uk. It's on the Mail Online. We've talked about it many times over the years. Is it just absolute, total and utter incompetence? No, it isn't. But they'll tell you it is. Or is it something more sinister? Yes, I wager that it is. It's seven minutes past the hour. Those are the headlines for you. On Wednesday's Richie Allen Show, back to your comments. Julie Wentz joining me uh, from Arizona shortly. I tell you what, if it's warm here, eh? John says more fear and agitation. Is that John Heffernan? Uh, Vladimir Putin threatens to deploy new Satan 2 nuclear missile that can reach the UK in minutes. That's from GB News. Thank you, John. Yes, more bullshit from the BBC. Vladimir Putin is not going to launch a nuclear missile at the UK. It ain't going to happen. But the media will keep putting it out there. Pod says, don't forget super gonorrhea, Richie. There's been a story in the press today about the emergence of super gonorrhea. Gonorrhea is an STD, a sexually transmitted disease. I've never had a sexually transmitted disease, and I'm proud of it. Have you? Have you? Don't tell me I don't want to know. 
herpes. No. No. Cold sores are a form of herpes, aren't they, if I remember? Yes, they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Bruce says, here's a thought, in my opinion, most of the threats being uh, piled or plied are just threats. That's all. Grind us down. The big one is the coming military conflict, which will have the required effect on the population, whether they're aware or not, says Bruce. Thank you, Bruce. Listen, lots of comments. Okay, I've got to take another tune. When we come back, we will be speaking with... With... Who will we be speaking with? We will be speaking with Julie Wentz. That's right. Uh, What have I got for you this time? Nicole Kidman, then. No, we've got Fleetwood Mac. Did I say Nicole Kidman? Here's Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac, second-hand news on the Richie Allen Show. There might be a problem with Julie Wentz. There might be. Uh, it could be a timing issue there. There might be some confusion. I've just been checking the diary and the emails, and I was pretty specific about the time, so it ain't my mistake. I, I don't mind this. It happens from time to time. It's no big deal if there's a, a misunderstanding read the time, but I think there might be. <laughs> I think Julie thinks we're starting at 7 o'clock, which we're not, because I'll be gone at 7 o'clock, which will, uh, which will be a shame, but I think that's what's happened. I'm trying to reach her to see if she's available, but um, once in a blue moon it happens. I've become very good at it. I used to make mistakes in the early days with the Pacific time, mountain time, central time, and of course Eastern Standard Time. But I got very good at it because, well, I had to, because it, it happened a couple of times that I was left short to guess. I never minded that. I talk all day long, me. But when you, um, you know, when you advertise a guest coming on, you look like a bit of an idiot. But uh, there may be uh, a mistake in the timing. There may be a misunderstanding. And if that's the case, it looks like we're going to have to reschedule. What a shame. But then, shit happens. Somebody put that on a bumper sticker. Oh, they already did. That's right, indeed. Dean says, these evil scum will never stop. This will end in violence. Take a look at the ending. Uh, to one by one, the Rick Mail film. This is closer to the truth than we think, says Dean. I, I never saw that film. Uh, what's it called? One by one. I must check it out. I must check that out. John Heffernan is cooking dinner. Good man, John. It's stuck in, you modern man. And cook that dinner. Alan says, I'm not scared of Putin's government. I'm wary of it. Yet we in the UK live under a deranged Nazi government, he says. Now that scares me. That's Alan. Thanks, Alan. HIV is not a sexually transmitted disease, says Chris. That's your opinion, Chris. And I know your opinion is shared by some in the truth or industrial complex. I don't know. I don't know. I interviewed the author of Dr. Mary's Monkey many years ago. I heard all of these theories. I don't know. You know what You know what it is, Chris? I like listening to these theories, but I don't know. And I think ultimately, if you're to be honest, you don't know either. And that's the thing. It's what gets in the way, I think, of advancement. You know, and I'm not levelling this at Chris now, because I don't know Chris. But I think too many of those who, who consume the independent media are far too easily entrenched in their points, in their viewpoints, in their positions, far too easily entrenched. And of course, the problem with that is, is once you become entrenched, you begin to subconsciously or otherwise 
seek out information that fits around your entrenched position, that supports it. And that's particularly prevalent, that problem, in the independent media. It really is. And uh, it's why I've... I'm not going to do it now, don't panic. But it's why I've been um, very critical of the independent media in the past. You know, people entrenching themselves, becoming very dogmatic about the thing they believe to be true. And then they get very upset with people like me, who, who, who isn't. I'm not saying your position isn't true, because I don't know. And again, I'm not saying this to Chris. I'm saying you, as in you who might be listening. And it's not good. I used to be like that. I used to be that guy. And people would be listening to this and they would say, you're a hypocrite. And I would say, no, no, I'm not. Because I admit it, I acknowledge it. A long time ago, I used to be that guy. If I believed it, it had to be true. Must be. And anybody who disagreed with it, well, well, that was, you know, they, they were an adversary. Their attitude was adversarial. I don't know if it's a working class thing, that. I don't know if that's down to my upbringing in, in a house, in, in, in a great council estate in Waterford. Yes. Um, now, Julie is there. So we're going to say hello to Julie and get her on the programme. And that's good. Uh, so, so she is there. Ah, that's great. That's great news. Let me give a big welcome to Julie then, before we say hello to her today. And a, a big shout out to Sheriff David Hassaway and to my great friend Spiro Skouras uh, for connecting us with Julie, who's uh, done amazing work and reliably informed in Arizona in standing up to the tyrannical vaccine mandates. Um, she was um, the person who founded uh, Arizona Stands Up, which, as I said, did stellar work. She's now putting together a parallel private health network known as Freedom Healthcare to uh, assist people to uh, get out of the uh, pharma system, the medical system. And I suppose uh, also see the other side of it, see that there are other alternatives to vaccine mandates and to big pharma prescriptions. I'm delighted to welcome to the programme Julie Wentz. Julie, welcome. How are you? Good morning, Richie. How are you? I'm really well. Do you know what? We're going to share the blame for this screw-up. We're going to share the blame. We're going to share... Do you know what it is? I, I'm terrified by your time zones in America. <laughs> so do you, know, do, you, do you know what I do? I always make sure to include... Um, the UK time. So I, I think I put in the email six oh five PM UK time. So I'm kind of I'm kind of putting the onus on you then to do the 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 the, 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 the <laughs> subtraction of the hours. But uh, I should be I should be a bit more careful. So I'm going to say I'll take the blame today, Maya Culpa. It's a pleasure to meet you, and uh, huge interest. It's, it's nice to meet you too. No, I just had eleven a.m. and uh, you know my time in my head and preparing for it, and then. Spiro just texting me going, you need to get on, you need to get on. I'm like, wait, I thought it was 11 a.m. Yeah, so I, it's I, my apo fault. I apologize as well. It's my fault. And a pal of mine called Maria Heller, who's also in Arizona. It's happened a couple of times. I think I think you're on Pacific time. No, you're on mountain time, but it's the, it's the same as Pacific time at the moment, I think. And that's that's yeah, what, yeah, it's yeah. my fault, my fault, right. I think it I think it is too. We We tend to be the ones that never change, which is kind of nice. But then we have to figure out what everybody else is on. And I think everybody should just be on the same time here in the I US. Because... In the world. Yeah. <laughs> in the world. Yeah. Make it easy exactly. for make it easy for a stupid Irishman like me. Now you're very welcome. <laughs> Before we talk about freedom healthcare, how do you reflect on the 
the two and a half years since March 2020. How were you affected by that? When this happened and they said, right, close your businesses, lock the children up, and wear masks, and we're going to bring in vaccines at the speed of light, how did that affect you at the time? My goodness. Well, um, I was like a lot of people that just was asleep and completely unaware of what was going on. And when everything started happening, um, it just didn't feel right. Nothing felt right about what was going on. I mean, we have our beautiful God-given immune system. We have the ability to be free people and all of these things were coming down and it didn't quite feel right. And what really sent me down the proverbial rabbit hole was I had a couple ladies come and stay with me in February of 2020, right when all of this was happening. And one of the ladies worked for Boeing uh, for 30 years and she actually lived in Wuhan, China for three years. And we were sitting outside and she was telling me the story about the uh, Wuhan Virology Lab and the wet market. And she had information about that. And that was my uh, step into the research and the rabbit hole of what was going on because I knew in my gut something was wrong. So I started looking into the history of what was going on, seeing Fauci's patents, seeing what Gates was doing with the quantum dot tattoo, all of the things that we're now seeing that are coming to fruition and have come to fruition. But I, you know, had this nice little tiny life with me and my dog and and oblivious to, to things that were going on. And this was a real rude awakening to the reality of what uh, the global agenda is what our governments have has done to us, both state and nationally, and what's happened around the world with the agenda at hand. So it was not something I particularly wanted to step into. It was, it was a God calling of, all right, you need to help people wake up and see the truth and start down this path. And even the things that we did as we, um, you know, as the co-founder of Arizona stands up and all of the things that we did, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't like politics. I didn't like history. I wasn't involved with all these things. And, and God basically says, guess what? I have a new, I have a new trajectory for you. So really just following into a lot of the things that were going on, but that's how it, that's what got me started. You're an inspiration, really, because we sometimes on this program lament the, 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 the fact that it seems that people are um, more and more and more likely to keep taking, um, you know, to, 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 to read the papers, to listen to the news and to believe it wholesale. And I, and I thought for a while that, you know, people have lost the capacity to, to, to stop and say, no, there's something very wrong here. You're a, a lady who had your private life which, with your dog. You're going along nice and happy. Um, nobody could have, could, have confu- you know, could have accused you of being a conspiracy theorist or anything like that. But you were able to see something was wrong and do something about it. So that's hugely inspirational for me, that is. It really is. You've no idea that because I'm, I have a big downer on people at the moment. You know, the, those that are going along with it. But you've mentioned God a couple of times. So you think that you think that God or the presence of God is important in, in your own awakening, to call it that. And there might be a clue there or a key there 
for how people might come to understand that these things are real, that they're happening, and that we need to do something about it. God's important, you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's first and foremost. And I and I think if people, you know, where they are spiritually, I think this has a lot to do with it. Because if you can't um, see God or keep your eyes on Jesus, you can't see the truth. People need to be able to see the truth. And when you focus on the truth that is, you know, who we are in God's eyes, the creator of the universe, understanding that it gives you a connection um, to truth. And and every day, you know, praying for wisdom and discernment for what's going on. This is really important for people to get connected, to be able to see the truth, because when you can see Jesus and see the truth, you're aware of everything really that's going on. And I think that's been a lot of the division and really the the satanic influence of the evil that has blinded people to what's going on. And the blindness has come through the media and from the government and from the global agenda. This division has been purposeful and specific and evil across every layer. And I've lost family and friends over this because of, you know, that word is you're crazy or you're a conspiracy theorist. Well, there's no theory about this. This is a true conspiracy and it's a conspiracy against humanity. And there's a global agenda of depopulation and, you know, the kill shot that's been created. People have to get outside of sitting in front of their TV and watching mainstream media or even a lot of social media to do the research on their own and to look at the other side and be open enough to go, you know what, there's something wrong with this. It doesn't make sense. Maybe I should look myself into what's going on and find the truth. Don't just believe what's being spoon fed to you. Seek the truth and that freedom that goes with it. Well said. And the, the frustrating thing is, if they only went to the government's own websites, they would see how uh, injurious the the so-called vaccines have been, how dangerous they've been. That's the thing that gets to me. If you go to the yellow card reporting data here in the UK, on the UK government website, you'll see how damaging the jabs are. You've got your own reporting system, the VAERS in the United States. It's all there for people. They've only got to look at it. They don't have to listen to radio shows like this. They'll find it. Before we talk about free Freedom Health Care, tell us about Arizona Stands Up and the sorts of things you were doing to raise awareness about the mandates and the, and the jabs and why people needed to... Uh, you know, to, to, to seriously consider not having the vaccines. Yeah, that was, there There was a lot. And even with what you mentioned a second ago with the VAERS reports, I mean, there's information now coming out that they've been deleting, you know, the massive amount of deaths from the VAERS report and all of the injuries that have happened. There's just deception at every turn. It, it doesn't matter where you look. It's just evil and deceptive and divisive. Um, purposefully harming people, which is just incredible that we're even experiencing this in time. But when we started Arizona Stands Up, the goal was was to take down the state of emergency that was happening here in Arizona because we knew there was no emergency. Everything was being created. So we started looking for attorneys that would be willing to stand up Um, and go against the state of emergency take on the case. And we had collaborated with 
Ohio stands up, um, Jason, the plaintiff there, and Tom Renz, who's well known. Um, we also collaborated with New Mexico Stands Up. Um, Anna Garner is the attorney that started New Mexico Stands Up. She's a good friend of mine. And we started looking at how we could, you know, find attorneys to stop this. Well, we went to all the regular constitutional ones we thought would be good ones, Goldwater, Liberty Council before they jumped in, just, you know, Pacific Freedom Legal in California, but all of these other ones, and no one would take it. And all of the people, you know, that we were dealing with here in Arizona is like, why aren't attorneys taking this? You know, this is a constitutional right that we have. And it was just crickets. And then we started reaching out to just secular attorneys going, all right, let's start seeing who's willing to take it. And nothing, nothing, nothing. We found one attorney firm that we felt was conservative that was willing to take it. They knew all the garbage behind the scenes. They knew the players. So we started raising the money for a retainer for them. And when we got close to raising the retainer, um, I reached out to the to the lead attorney going, hey, we got a couple of questions. And he comes back and says, oh, sorry, Governor Ducey's team has um, asked us to represent him on another case. So we can't help you. It'd be a conflict of interest. And I was furious and I, I, you know, I could think of all sorts of names I wanted to say, but then I realized God was protecting us because if he and the t and their legal team were willing to represent Ducey, who was causing this, then we didn't want them anyway. So that kind of disappeared. No other attorneys were willing to take it. And we know this was going on across the country as other firms were or other people were trying to stand up as well. So we, around this time, some of the, uh, some of the restrictions started coming down. So the they were easing the restrictions in restaurants. The mass mandates were starting to come down. So we reached out to a few more attorneys during this time, and uh, they were saying, "Well, you don't have standing anymore. You know, they're they're taking down, they're releasing the the restrictions, and the mass mandates are coming down, and you don't have standing." I'm like, "What are you talking about? The the state of emergency is still up." And there's no emergency. So I finally started asking the attorneys as soon as we started talking to them if they were constitutional attorneys, whether or not they would even stand, not being part of the British accredited registry, but if they would be willing to stand up for our constitution. And one of the attorneys who's a well-known attorney here in Arizona, I asked that question and he literally laughed and said, the Constitution's been gone for 120 years. And I just went, click, we're done. And that, when I started realizing everything that we were dealing with legally, um, judicially, our government here in Arizona, the legislative branch, both the Senate and the House, our governor, our secretary of state, our attorney general, they're all corrupt. So learning all of this corruption that was happening, going, there really is nobody but the people at this point, because all of these people are part of the garbage and the agenda that's going on. And they're not standing up for the people that they're supposed to be representing. Was that, um, so, sorry, Julie, was that a horrifying realization for you? Because that, that can't be an easy thing to realize or to find out that, that, that the, the game is so rigged that the the little person, you know, I'm not saying you're a little person, but the average person um, is almost powerless. Uh, now, we're, we're not, I don't believe we are powerless, but but to, 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 to note that, to experience that, 
that must be nerve-wracking, I would have thought. It, it was nerve-wracking, and it was also infuriating that the people that we elected were doing this, and we're going along in our nice little lives thinking we're being taken care of when all of this stuff is happening behind the scenes. So, yeah, it was. this was incredibly eye-opening, and I never thought I'd be doing this or be in a position to be doing this. It's very important so, when you think about it, because what you discovered, and others, um, but you particularly, every human being has an inalienable right to determine what is inserted in their body. And yes. ev every human being has the right not to be fired because they choose not to put a toxic, potentially toxic, potentially deadly medicine that they do not need into their body. And that's, you would have thought that's a given, that's obvious. But yet you're going to constitutional attorneys, you're going to other lawyers, and they're saying, no, we don't want to know. I mean, that's just... How difficult yeah. that must have been, yeah. And and even and even before the 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 you know experimental gene therapies came along, people putting masks on, and that was I never put on a mask. I put one on once when I was actually had to go fly somewhere, and I kept pulling it down. And I just think we're not supposed to be masks. I mean, you're breathing in your bacteria. It's more harmful to people. What happened to our kids? What happened to people in general. And I just go back to the one, you know, the one verse in the Bible where it says, we with unveiled faces display the glory of God from glory to glory. God did not want us veiled. People display his glory. So on all fronts, this just had so much evil around it with what was going on. So during that time, we started uh, getting other things going we started the Freedom Papers. We had a grassroots newspaper where we would get, you know, information out truthfully, kind of came off the committees of correspondence of our founding fathers. We started this grassroots newspaper. Um, we started Freedom Town Halls. So we had medical professionals come in and talk about how they were taking care of people with ivermectin yeah. and hydroxychloroquine and, and the basics of what was going on. And we also had um, Pastor Artur Pulowski, who is that amazing pastor in Canada that's just gone through crap with what's been done to him. He came down and spoke. So we had people come and speak at the town hall. And then we started working with medical professionals. And about this time, so this is maybe 10 months ago, um, they came down on the medical professionals and our frontline responders with pushing the jab. And I knew at that point, all right, I know what's going on. I know what's coming. I know what they're doing. I know what's going on. This, this whole process, God's really just been opening my eyes and uh, heart to see not only now, but into the future, the things that are happening. So I'm like, oh my gosh, they're, they're going to take away, you know, one of our meetings, a gentleman stood up and he's like, why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? And I said, you have to understand the agenda. If they take out our frontline caretakers, then there's no one to take care of the people that are going to really be dying in the next six months to a year and a half. And you take out our frontline protectors, that opens up not only our borders, our, you know, a sieve right now, we have people coming in from other countries pouring across our borders. We, you take out the frontline protectors, then chaos can ensue. So you can see why these things were happening. So we started a a document process for the medical professionals in our three big health systems here, 
Dignity, Honor, and Banner, the three big hospital systems, and created a document process to help them along with their religious exemption to hold their ground in their job, but not take the jab. And we were probably 99% effective. People that didn't use our process were either terminated or forced to take the jab. And then the other ones that used it um, held their ground. And the biggest thing was holding the um, CEOs and the HRs of these health systems accountable for what they were doing to their employees and, and that you can't force this. And there was a, a, a notice in an affidavit. There were documents that needed to be signed. And then the third one, which I think the third piece of information that had the most effect was I uh, created a cease and desist. And I had learned about notices and affidavits from gentlemen who were helping people here and across the country, you know, fight the election fraud and some of the other stuff. But I had asked uh, Anna for just a generic cease and desist. And I'm not an attorney. I don't know any of this kind of no, stuff. But I was, I I was just, just going to say you're, you're half, at least half an attorney now. You're at least a no. paralegal. <laughs> You've learned so much, I'm guessing. You're at least a paralegal, Julie. Yeah, I've I've learned I've learned yeah. a ton just because, you know, all of a sudden this information is there and I'm supposed to do something with it. So I took the cease and desist and and morphed it into something that would hold these CEOs and HR accountable. And three of the four CEOs for Dignity Health, after receiving these cease and desists, either are retiring or retired. So I held them accountable by putting $2 million liability on their heads personally, not corporately, for every employee they fired or every employee they pushed this COVID protocol on. Fantastic. So I know it, I know it made a difference. But during that time, I just kept thinking, everything I'm doing is reactive. Everything's reactive. It's not going to stop. They're not going to stop pushing the jabs. They're not going to stop trying to you know, harm people. They're not going to stop the terminations. They're not going to stop the agenda. And this agenda is global. It's not going to stop. So I realized, okay, we need to do something that's proactive. And my friend and I were talking and we were just kind of joking going, you know, we need to start a new healthcare system because of what's happening, because it's just, it's, it's, it's a sick system. It's not even a healthcare system. It's a sick system. And now it's a kill system. It's, it's horrible. And I'm like, this is way outside my wheelhouse. I don't have any medical background. I don't have any law background. And other than just organizational business and management background, I'm like, this is outside my wheelhouse. And she was just like, how do you know that God doesn't have you here at this place and time to do this? So I spent a couple of weeks praying on it going, okay, God, I can be the hands and feet. You have to send me the people. You have to send the people that have a piece in creating what we have to create. And since that point, it's literally almost every day, there'll be someone that comes along that is either a medical professional that wants to help and get involved or someone like you that helps us get the word out both you know, here in the US and then around the world or someone that has a piece of the puzzle because it's gonna take all of us to do this. The system is going to fall. All of the systems are going to fall. They're all so broken, whether it's governmental, healthcare, 
legal, judicial education, our education systems under attack. I mean, every system is not fixable. They have to fall and they need to be rebuilt. So this just happened to be the path that I got stuck on and put to to start moving this forward with Freedom Healthcare. And this is freedom-healthcare.us. So that's the website. You're, you're listening to Julie Wentz. Julie ran Arizona Stands Up. We've been talking about that. Uh, she's working on a parallel private health network, um, freedom-healthcare.us. Give us, um, if you had to do a 60-second radio ad, what is, how would you describe freedom-healthcare? Or how would you describe freedom-healthcare? What is it? What would it mean for an ordinary person who wanted to use it? What is it? So for for the people that want to actually get involved with this, we're no longer going to deal with a standard of care, which means people are sick and they need to be given drugs by big pharma or whatever. We're stepping back into the place that God gives us with our natural immunity, our perfect health, going back into nature and creating a standard of health stepping away from what they've been doing to everyone for the last 150 years and stepping into a place of true health care. And we're going back into the private. Everything has been done with government oversight, with all the things that are happening. We are going back into the private, which gives us the ability to help people outside of the existing systems. So there'll be different, um, there's four different phases that are going to be part of this. Uh, starting with telehealth, in-home visits, pre- and postnatal care, to direct primary care clinics and urgent care fusions. There'll be micro-hospitals, and then there'll be bigger systems, training, um, education, all of that. We literally need to run parallel to what is falling now and killing people to a place where we can help people get back to that true state of foundational health where we all need to be, which something as simple as eating organic and eating healthier and, and not taking anything with sugar, like looking at the ingredients yeah. on every everything you eat and the chemicals that are in there and the sugar that's in there. They, I, there's this evil symbiotic relationship between big food and big pharma. Everything since the late 50s, early 60s, when they tried to make everything go low fat, They put sugar into all of the foods. Well, sugar creates inflammation. Inflammation creates disease. Once you have the disease, then big pharma comes in and gives you drugs. We're literally just Petri dishes. That's the cycle. That's the cycle. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, for the system of, you know, keeping us sick and giving us drugs. We're, We're just like little money pots for big food and big pharma. And it's, it's just, it's sickening. And each, so, uh, and don't forget each pill that is prescribed often brings with it its own complications. So you need a secondary, you know, and a tertiary pill and you need a fourth pill. It's never ending. Just let me remind our listeners, Julie Wentz is our guest. Arizona stands up now. Freedom Healthcare. I love the educational aspect of it. I love that you aim to provide healthcare for people that is holistic in nature, that is going back to, you know, natural ways of healing people. Again, the education. Um, question that will be shouted at me through uh, the interweb. They'll be screaming at me, Julie. Will it be affordable for people? Yes, and that's and that's what I think is so interesting with all of this because you look at what people are paying for now for current insurance 
and what their deductibles are. And when we were sitting down one day, again, I don't have a medical background, I have a business background, but we're sitting down one day and I was asking one of our um, emergency room doctors, how much do you get for a procedure that somebody comes in the ER for? Like, what do you get? And she said, you know, 20, 30% and we have to pay our billing and our costs. And I said, so where did, where did the other 70% go? Well, it's going to the hospital system and to the insurance company. And then the same question I posed to a cardiologist, how much would you get for maybe a $10,000 procedure? How much do you pocket out of that money? Well, $190. When I started hearing these things, I got super excited because it means the, the money is going up the system to like our CEO of one of our big systems here makes 32 million a year in one of the hospital systems. The money is going up the food chain for insurance and for these systems that are so bloated with um, extraneous people and stuff and, and, and rules and regulations that you have to follow and CMS decides what you can and cannot do in a hospital. Well, that means we're going to be able to make healthcare affordable and the goal, and this is a private membership association, only members can be part of it. This is not going to be open to the public. We're not going to have 911 calls where, you know, ambulances call, come in. Everybody will have to be a member. We are going back into the private. So having those, knowing the money piece of it, that just got me excited going, not only will we be able to be less expensive than what's out there and be more affordable, we're going to get people back to that place of health where they're not going to need to go to doctors. That's very interesting. You also made a very good point there. Look, journalists like me have wondered for years why a procedure like uh, an an appendectomy, for example, or, you know, a, a tonsillectomy, how it could be 30, 40, 50,000. Now, I, I, I'm not a communist, right? So I don't believe that I should have the right to tell a surgeon what he or she should earn. However, I do believe that it's extortion to be charging people 25 or 30,000 pounds or at least charging their insurance companies. And uh, I often thought, Julie, that if I had the ability, you know, if I was skilled, and if I was a surgeon and if I could work with um, anesthesiologists, I often thought, well, I charge people, I don't know, 500 bucks for an appendectomy or or a thousand bucks so that I could split some of the money with the anesthesiologist. And then, you know, more people could afford that and they could avoid insurance. So I like this idea a lot. But uh, and, and you've got the, 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 the healthcare professionals, the skilled ones, the doctors and the surgeons They're You're finding people are keen to be a part of something like this. Yeah. And, and it's really cool because we've only been working on this, you know, five or six months. I put all my time and energy into this. We have people that have been helping behind the scenes, you know, not getting paid to try and put all of this together. Um, and the people are coming. And what's really cool is when, when every piece of information goes out and it starts getting out there, because this is going to take some time to make it happen. You look at you know, Rockefeller and Rothschilds have been at it since the late 1800s, creating the existing system of sick care. It's going to take us a little while to get this up and going, but we've gotten so much done behind the scenes. And I, uh, uh, Reiner Fielmich, you may have heard of him. He's the uh, the German attorney that's been uh, the crimes against humanity, the 
you know, second Nuremberg trial, all that kind of stuff. He and Vivian had me on, I don't know, a couple weeks ago after they were here in Arizona for the Crimes Against Humanity tour. And at this point, just the people that have reached out, we have 17 states that want us to come into the states. And we have seven countries now that are like, how can we do this here? How do we get involved? We need to do this here. Our people, you know, Australia, Germany, Austria, uh, Switzerland, UK, people are reaching out going, how do we do this here? So, you know, this is this is for the people, by the people, outside of government reach where we can help take care of one another wherever we are. But it's, you know, it's a tall order. This is this is going to take help from everybody. The biggest thing is since we are we're an actual private ministerial association is we've created the model. We did a lot of research on this, creating the model that keeps us out of government touch to where they can't cross our threshold. They can't ask for information. This has been hidden from us. So we created this model. So we're a ministerial association, kind of like a church, a ministry. Our ministry is healthcare, but we will work on donations. Everything is donation-based. So we get these pieces up and going based on people donating. But the cool thing is the donations are all tax deductible. So that's totally up to the person if they want to take the tax deduction. So we have the best of both pieces. But since we're doing this by the people, for the people, in a way where we're not connected to business or government, this launches and moves based on people committing um, to donating and making it happen. And we can do it everywhere. The model is set. We can do this anywhere. It's just based on how committed people are to making it happen where they are. And this is, the website is freedom-healthcare.us. This is obviously specifically, it's of interest to everybody. But um, with, with the organisation, what, what you're doing in the US is obviously of uh, interest to our listeners in the United States, freedom-healthcare.us. And I'm thinking... We we saw, well, we didn't see them on 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 mainstream television, or we didn't hear them on mainstream ra- radio, but we did see them. Luckily enough, on channels like BitChute and others, we saw and heard from a lot of doctors, like qualified doctors, who were horrified that they were targeted, that they were demonised, that they were threatened because they wanted to, you know, uh, use the, they wanted to prescribe ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. And they were told they wouldn't be. They were threatened with having their license to practice withdrawn. So there must be a lot of disillusioned men and women, not just in the US, but around the world, who um, might very well be interested in participating in in this idea, in this um, programme. Yeah. And, and even when you're talking about losing their license, I mean, the, the Amer- I think it's the American Medical Association or whoever is after Peter McCullough again, Dr. Peter McCullough, to take his license away because of him speaking out about, you know, prescribing hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. So there's been there's been a lot of doctors that have continued forward and they're going to have to live with this um, actually you know, following through with what they were told to do when they knew better. I remember when I got a, a I, I, I've been contacted by so many people over this last 10 months. One of them was a pharmacist for one of the big grocery chains. And he's like, I need to know what to do, um, you know, 
what paperwork can I have or what should I do? I don't want to be giving people these experimental gene therapy jabs in our pharmacy, in this grocery store chain. How do I, what do I do to stop? And this, at this point, I'm like, not mad at people, but I'm like, come on. I said, just don't do it. You know, in your heart, it's wrong. Walk away, walk away from what you're doing. I, I don't look for some easy fix that gives you a, a happy little piece of paper that says, okay, I don't have to do this. You know what's happening is wrong. You have to stand up and you have to walk away. I agree, Julie. I agree. But to three children and the mortgage, it's a powerful fear-inducing barrier, isn't it? Yep. And that's how they've kept people in fear. It's all about the job. It's all about, you know, having to pay your bills that now everybody is, you know, part of the government system where they own you anyway. Like Klaus Schwab says, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. The, you know, World Economic Forum 2030 agenda, you'll own nothing and be happy. Everybody is already owed. And you have to have, it comes down to, that that faith and trust in what's happening. And I remember one woman saying, uh, you know, reaching out, like, what should I do? Should I should I say anything or should I stand up to my employer? And I said, what are you going to do 10 or 15 years from now when your grandkids come to you and say, what did you do during that time when everything was falling apart and our freedoms were disappearing? What did you do for me to protect my freedom for the future? Those are the questions that these people are going to have to hear from their grandkids because they didn't stand up and they didn't open their mouths and they didn't stand up for what was right or bodily autonomy or their freedom. And 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 the freedoms are not going to be there for our kids and grandkids. I'm doing this for my you know future grandkids that I don't even know if I'm going to have. I'm doing yeah. them for everybody's grandkids. People have to stand up and take a stand at this because just the, the the sheep and goats that are walking and doing what they've been told by the government are the reason this is still going on and that it continues. There's way more of us than there are of them. I like There's to think so. I like to think so. We're, we're nearly out of time for today. So I want to just mention again, Parallel Private Health Network, known as Freedom Healthcare, Julie Wentz, W-E-N-T-Z. To find out more about it, go to freedom-healthcare.us and check it out. It's a well-put-together website there. All the information is there. Go and check it out. Final question for today. Thanks for coming on. Sorry about screwing up the timing. No worries, Richie. Thank you for having me. Not at all. Final question. We've got about two minutes. Do you envisage, then, a, a future world where we do have parallel societies? where it won't be possible to stop them doing this to everybody, where where they will have their, you know, prison population in their smart cities and the rest of us might be eking out a life, but maybe a great life maybe, outside separate. Do you think that's how it might end up, Julie? I, <clears throat> I actually think that's how it's going to end up because it's not going to stop. The agenda that's rolling is not going to stop. And even when you look at the digital currency or the mark of the beast, we are well into revelation, whether people want to believe it or not, these things are not going to stop. But how do we help people along the way? And even with what we're doing with Freedom Healthcare and other other people that are getting things going, whether it's, you know, stepping outside and creating small educational 
communities or new communities, getting people together, learning how to, um, you know, grow food, that kind of stuff. We're, we're at a divisive place. We are going to divide and the people are either going to follow into the existing system that isn't going to stop or they can help step out and get into these parallel societies because this really is where it's going to happen. And what people don't realize is how everyone has been affected through all of this and how there are no more rules. The government isn't following the rules. Everything is upside down. There are no more rules. So I tell people it's our turn to make the rules. We are stepping out and we're going to now make the rules because we have to protect the people moving forward where our government and the rest of the agenda wants nothing to do but, you know, take them out and depopulate. But we need everybody on board. Our biggest thing really from everybody is getting the donations to get this up and started in different areas. And there's no reason that we can't help other countries do the same. We have to create these parallel systems. Freedom-healthcare.us. You've been listening to Julie Wentz. Thanks, Julie. Lovely to meet you. We'll talk again. And do say hello and thank uh, the great uh, Sheriff David Hathaway and Spiro Skouras, two proper men, two real men. Thanks, Julie. They're awesome. Thank you, Richie, so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Julie Wentz, live on the line uh, from her home in Arizona. Freedom-healthcare.us. Parallel private healthcare networks to get out of the big pharma death cycle. Really interesting that to me. Uh, The time is um, rapidly approaching four minutes to six. Thanks to Julie. And again, thanks to Spiro. You'll find him at activistpost.com. You'll find Spiro Skouras on YouTube. And the great Sheriff David Hathaway. It would be lovely to get those lads back on again. It's been a difficult time for Spiro, of course, we know that. And he's never too far away from our thoughts is uh, the great man. That's it for Wednesday's programme. Thanks for listening to it and putting up with me. We'll do it again tomorrow, Thursday at five o'clock UK time. I'm off for a cold drink. It's a scorcher here this Wednesday evening. It's going to be even warmer tomorrow. Sayonara. Hasta luego. Sloan Tommel. Arrivederci. Bye now.